So if you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Romans, to chapter 10. Romans, of course, was written by the Apostle Paul, Jewish through and through, although he does not call himself Jewish. And we'll have to look and see why. But he says in verse 1, brethren, so he's talking to believers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Why would he put this verse in here? Doesn't he believe that all of Israel is saved? No, in fact, he's been very clear that just the fact that you call yourself Israel does not make you Israel. No more than calling yourself a believer makes you a believer. So he knows that the heart yearns for God, but he says, yeah, but they're doing it wrong. So in verse 2 he says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. What does it mean to have a zeal for God? They want God. They have a great desire for God. They don't want to do what God wants, though. They want God on their terms, right? As we read in Isaiah chapter 1, they want to continue in sin and have God bless them anyway. How does that work? It doesn't. So he says that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Knowledge, is he talking about gnosis, Gnosticism? They should be following Eastern mysticism? No, turn back to the book of Hosea. Hosea, God tells us exactly what kind of wisdom he's talking about, what kind of knowledge in Hosea, which comes from the same root as Yeshua, our Messiah. The root is salvation. In verse 6 of Hosea 4, says, my people are destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law, the Torah of your God. I also will forget your children. Deuteronomy 8.11 says, if you have forgotten my commandments, if you will not keep my commandments, statutes, and judgments, God says it's because you have forgotten me. So that's the knowledge he's talking about, the knowledge of God and his commandments. If you turn to chapter 6 of Hosea, chapter 6 comes after the two verses at the end of chapter 5 that talk about the three captivities of Israel, the Assyrian captivity of Babylonian and the Roman diaspora. And in verse, chapter 6, verse 1, we come to the end of the diaspora with Israel being regathered into the Messianic kingdom. It says, come, let us return to the Lord. The word return there means to repent, to come back to God. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. He promised in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that when we repent and turn back to God with our whole heart and our whole soul, that he will restore us back. He will forgive us. Verse 2 tells us how long that last captivity will last. After two days he will revive us. What is two days to the Lord? 2,000 years. That's Psalm 90 verse 4 and 2 Peter 3 8. A day is to the Lord is a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. So after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. So 2,000 years, about how long have we been in captivity in this Roman diaspora? About 2,000 years. 
Verse 3, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. That's that same knowledge as chapter 4. Let us come back and understand that God is a loving God. He's a forgiving God, but he's a God who wants our whole heart. And the way we demonstrate our love for God is by following his commandments. Somebody give me a verse. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. How about 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3? What is the love of God? That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So let's go back to Romans 10. Verse 2, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He included himself with that before his encounter with the risen Lord in Acts chapter 9. He was going after the believers with great zeal, great vehemence, sent out by the Sanhedrin to go arrest in prison and eventually put to death the believers. Very zealous. He says, boy, was I dumb. So let's break this down. Zeal. Let's go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Let's see what we can learn about zeal. John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Messiah does something absolutely out of character, something that I used to not be able to comprehend how it could even happen. He goes into the temple. He whips people. He overturns tables. He drives out the money changers. Why would he do that? He loves people. He's cleaning the leaven out of Papa's house. It's right before Passover, so it's Benachat Chameitz. And he's cleaning the leaven out of Papa's house. And he explains it here in John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house, that's the temple, a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. This zeal, though, was a right zeal based upon knowledge, cleaning the sin out of the temple, driving out the money changers. What was wrong with the money changers and those that were selling animals is that they were cheating people. You couldn't use foreign currency because it had pagan images on it. So you had to trade in that for Israeli currency and they were giving them maybe 10 cents on a dollar. And they were doing it in God's house. And Messiah said, no. Go to Acts chapter 21. Let's learn more about zeal. Acts chapter 21. Verse 20. Acts 21 verse 20. Paul has come to Jerusalem and he's bringing with him testimony of Gentiles being saved across Asia Minor which we would call today Turkey and the apostles in Jerusalem the leaders like James and Peter are very concerned because the people have been told lies about Paul so he says in verse 20, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. They said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews, that's at least 30,000 Jews, there are who have believed, and they're all zealous for the Torah. 
These are Jewish people that have become believers, saved by faith in Messiah. And they are what? They are all zealous for the Torah. But they have been informed about you. That you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Saying they ought not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs. Has Paul been teaching them that? No. But it's reported that he did. And he says, what then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you've come. Therefore do we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Paul has taken a Nazarite vow, if you remember. He has tried very hard to get to Jerusalem by Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, so he could complete the vow. Because you always completed it Shavuot. So there's four other men who have taken the same Nazarite vow. You end the Nazarite vow by doing an animal sacrifice at the altar in the temple and burning the hair that has grown during the term of the vow on the same altar, same sacrifice. So take them, be purified with them, and pay their expenses, meaning you buy their animals for their sacrifice when you buy your animal for your sacrifice. So that they may shave their heads. That's how we know it's a Nazarite vow. That all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the Torah. What do they mean that Paul walks orderly and keeps the Torah? That means he keeps the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. I thought he was a believer. He is a believer, and he's teaching the believers to keep the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. Turn back earlier in Acts, and we'll find that from the very beginning of the apostles' ministry, they were accused falsely of teaching people that the commandments have been abolished with the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. And we're told from the beginning that it is not true. Acts chapter 6. Verse 11. Acts chapter 6, verse 11. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him, him being Stephen, speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. In other words, teaching people that the commandments are no longer to be followed. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. What council? The Sanhedrin. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place, that being the temple and the law, the Torah. If those allegations were true, what kind of witnesses would they have called? True, true witnesses. But they tell us right here it's false. From the very beginning, they tell us in the scripture that these allegations are not true. I don't know about you, but you know what I was taught growing up? Same thing. That they taught us that the commandments have been abolished, not to be followed. Jesus didn't come to abolish them. He left that for Paul. <laughs> <laughs> okay, carrying on with that. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4. Who wrote Galatians? Paul did. Quick question. Go ahead. Um, um, several times it mentions the word customs. Yep. Um, can you explain? That's from the Hebrew holocaust. Okay. Holocaust, how we walk it, how we keep the commandments. How we keep 
So it's really the practical application of the commandments to how we live? Yeah. Correct? Do you kindle a fire on Shabbat? No. That kind of stuff. Okay. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18. But put a finger here, and let's follow Dr. Nancy's question a little bit farther to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says, imitate me, verse 1, just as I also imitate Messiah. Now I praise you, brethren, he's talking to believers that come out of the Gentile world, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. That word traditions there in Greek is parodesis. It's the Greek equivalent of holocaust. So Paul has been teaching the Gentiles to keep the commandments and how to do it properly. You know, some of the commandments take a little bit of instruction. What does God mean by that? I'm still looking for a little one-on-one -on -one time when we get to heaven saying, what was I supposed to be doing here? But okay, back to Galatians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18. The word zealous they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. This talk about zealousness here is talking about there are Jewish people who have come up to Asia Minor, to Turkey, to this area of Galatia, and said, whoa, 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 Paul taught you wrong, uh-uh. Paul taught that you're saved by faith, no way. He must not have known that you're Gentiles. God can't save Gentiles. God can only save Jews. So you have to be circumcised and keep the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God perfectly. Then you can be saved. And Paul's going, that's not right. They are zealous, but they are zealous without knowledge. And they're trying to pass on their zealousness without knowledge to these Gentiles, which would do them no good whatsoever. On to the book of Titus. I would ask you who wrote Titus, but I'm sure you already know yeah, Paul, yeah. <laughs> Verses 11 to 14, Titus chapter 2. All the T's in the New Testament are in alphabetical order together. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. <clears throat> For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to whom? To all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Yeshua the Messiah did he just call Yeshua God yes he did who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people here's the word zealous zealous for good works What's another way of saying zealous for good works? Wanting to keep the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. If he has come to redeem us from every lawless work, 
Does he then expect us to do more lawless works? That's Romans 6.1. What then? Shall we continue in sin that grace shall abound? What's he say? Mejanoito. God forbid. Yeah, we've got to remember that Greek phrase, mejanoito, because he's going to say it a lot tonight. Go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. Still looking at the word zealous. I am zealous for the word zealous. Revelation 3.19. Oh, you know this church, the church of the Laodiceans. What were they known for? Lukewarmness. And what does Messiah tell him? Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Be zealous for the Torah, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, and repent of the lawless deeds. What is sin? Lawlessness. That's 1 John 3, 4. Let us go back to Romans chapter 10, lest we forget where we started. So now we have verses 1 and 2. Brethren, he's talking to believers. Believers that he's never met face to face. It says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. What role does Paul have in bringing salvation to the children of Israel? He is the child of Israel. It's not his primary mission. He's the apostle to the Gentiles, but where does he always go when he goes to a new city? Let's go to Acts chapter 17. Always, he starts at the synagogue. So he says, God didn't tell me I couldn't. <laughs> Acts chapter 17, what's Paul's custom? He knew there would be Gentiles there in the synagogue too. So Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Then when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. How do we know there were Gentiles? We have to go back to Acts 13, don't we? Go back to Acts 13. The Bible tells us, starting in verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Who, who begged them? The Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. What? If they were there and heard them, why would they want to preach to them the next Sabbath? Because they were not all there. There were some. They're bringing friends. So if you look at verse 43... Or 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together. Yeah. So it's like, have you ever gone to a movie that was really good? So you tell your friends, you got to see this movie? Yeah, they've gone out and say, hey, you got to hear this guy. No, recently I haven't seen one either. Okay. You got me there. Okay, back to Romans 10:2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for. What's that word for mean? Because they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. 
That sounds like a puzzle or a riddle, but it's not. They're being ignorant of God's righteousness. What are they ignorant of? That salvation is by faith. So they're trying to earn salvation through their own righteousness. That is through self-righteousness. And how does that work? It does not. So if we go to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to learn that without faith there is no righteousness. Yes, ma'am. Who had a question? Oh, I did. Go ahead. The, the last verse that you spoke on, which one was it? It was uh, Hebrews 45, but then you said that there were the, the next one after that. Which one was it? Uh, I think it was 44. 44. No. It was when I, I'm, I'm going to turn back down the back there. I'm sorry. It was in Acts 13. Uh-huh. We looked at 42 and then 44. And then you were, it was 46. Nope, just 42 and 44. Okay, 42 and 44, thank you. Yep. Okay. you got to remember, I don't listen to me, so sometimes I forget where I went. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, him being God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and, notice it's not enough to believe in God. That's not enough. And that he is a rewarder of those who casually look after him. No? Oh, you're right. It's diligently seek him. What does diligently mean? Yeah, with all your heart. With all your heart. God wants your Vehavta, exactly. Where's that from? The Vehavta was from? 6-5. The Shema is 6-4. Yeah, very good. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 to 9. Matthew 15, 7 to 9. Here is where the scribes and Pharisees fell down. And it's where I see the traditional church failing. I can't judge anybody, but I'm afraid for some of my fellow brothers. Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 to 9. Hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? An actor. One who pretends to be something or not. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth. They claim to be God's children. They claim that God is their God. And they honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In order to teach the commandments of men, what must you disregard? You must set aside the commandments of God. Deuteronomy 8.11 said what? Let's turn back and look. I mentioned it twice now, so let's go look at it. Deuteronomy 8 is the very chapter that Messiah quotes from when the devil tempts him to make stones into bread. 
And he said from verse 3, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. But 8.11 says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. By. What does the word by mean? Here's how. By not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today. You can say, but Wayne, that's Old Testament. Yeah, but Messiah is in Matthew 4, 4 when he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 1 John 5 also says, this is the love of God. And it says what? That you keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Absolutely right. Let's go back to Matthew, but let's go to Matthew chapter 5. The funny thing is that man's commandments are burdensome. Yes, man's commandments are burdensome, much more burdensome than God. Remember when I was a kid, you're not supposed to dance, you're not supposed to go to movies, you're not supposed to put on makeup, you're not supposed to... You must have been raised Baptist here in the South, boy. <laughs> Actually, I was kind of raised pagan, but the... Okay. The, the churches I would attend without my parents as a five or six year old, they had all these rules and nothing was from the Bible. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I was too young to know that. I kept looking for it. And as I got to where I could read, I, I, I kept looking for those rules. I never could find them. And I've told you honestly that I was asked to go to the First Methodist Church in Prattville, Alabama by the head of the adult Sunday school department to speak to the adult Sunday school. And the pastor met me at the door and said, you cannot come in here. He said, you're gonna come in and teach the Bible and I can't let you do that. Our doctrine is not based on the Bible and you're gonna make people all kinds of confused. Yeah, so let's go to Matthew 5. We're gonna do a little more than I was gonna, I was just gonna do verse 20, but I'm just feeling like I need to do more. Verse 17, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That word fulfill, you all know, is plerosai. The root of it is plerao. And in Romans chapter 15, verse 19, it's used and translated as when Paul had fully preached. And that's what this word means. Messiah has not come to destroy, meaning to misinterpret, but to correct the misinterpretations that have been caused by the Pharisees. When they've taught that the law is a way of salvation, which it never was. And then in verse 18 in our English Bibles, they have the word fulfill again, but it's not. Yes, ma'am. Plurao is the root meaning to fill full. Let's go to Romans 15, 17. Keep your finger here. And we'll see how it's translated there. It's translated correctly. Romans 15, 19. Give me a thumbs up when you're there, Melania. Romans 15, 19. The very last phrase... I have fully preached the gospel of Messiah. That fully preached is the same plurao. The same word. That's what it means. So he's telling them that the, the Pharisees have taught you wrong. 
and I've come to teach you correctly. So in verse 18, we have the English word fulfill again, but it's not plurosai, it's not from plurao at all. It's the word genitai. It says verse 18, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away. Have heaven and earth passed away yet? They have not. Will they? Yes, after the thousand-year millennial kingdom. One jot, that's the Hebrew letter yod, or one tittle, which is a piece of a letter that differentiates a dalit from a resh, will by no means pass from the Torah till all is fulfilled. This word fulfilled, genitai, means until all that has been prophesied comes to pass. So verse 18 is Hebrew parallelism. Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest piece of a letter will pass away from God's commandments, statutes, and judgments. Who said that? That's Yeshua. That's our Messiah. How would he know? He wrote it. That's right. Verse 19, whoever, therefore. What does the word whoever mean? Anybody. What does therefore mean? Because not the smallest letter of peace will pass away. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments. What does these refer back to? The Torah. God's commandments. And teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever does and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What of Messiah's words there makes you think that we ought to stop keeping the commandments? None. Verse 20 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We've just read that the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is self-righteousness, which is good for what? Nothing. Because it's not mixed with faith. Let's go up to the book of Hebrews, where Paul tells us that in no uncertain terms. The bottom of the right-hand column of the right-hand page. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. We'll start in 18, because it helps us see even more clearly. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So what does Paul tell us? Why didn't they obey? Because they did not mix it with faith. So Paul says disobedience, lack of faith, same thing. Mm. Let's go back to Romans 10. So failure to obey the commandments equates to unbelief. Equates to unbelief. Because if you truly believe that there's a God in heaven who said, if you don't do this, I'm going to send you to the lake of fire, you do it. Romans 10, verse 4. Here we go. I'm going to read it as it's written here. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Good. Praise the Lord. That's the way it's always been preached to me. But you know what? There's not a period there. Says, for Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
But that word and misleads us in English. There are two Greek words and, telos and teleo. Teleo means to bring to a termination. Telos means to bring us to the goal. So this should read, for Messiah is the goal of the Torah for righteousness to everyone who believes. That is the purpose of the Torah. One of its purposes is to bring us to Messiah. To help us realize that we cannot save ourselves. The word telos in Greek is 5056. If you're using the Strong's numbering system. And I want you to see other places where this word telos is used. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 22. Are we there? What color are the words? Red. <clears throat> and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So that means they have to endure to the end of the universe, right? Till all stars and planets... No, of course not. What is that word end? Until the goal when they come to the kingdom. <clears throat> Remember the word life in Hebrew is plural. Recognizing that you've got life in this world and in the world to come, either in the New Jerusalem or the Lake of Fire. And God lets you pick which one you prefer. Hey, yes, sir. Notice it doesn't say he who quits before the goal will be saved. No, it does not say that, does it? I mean, well, I know that sounds silly, but no. I mean, that's, that's kind of how people view it. Like, it doesn't matter as long as you make a profession of faith that it's done. Yep, they treat that as the end rather than as the beginning. We're going to get to that tonight, too. Or maybe next week. Or the week after. But we'll get there. Excuse me, Wayne. What did Daniel just say? Daniel just said, notice it doesn't say, he who quits before the end of the race will still be saved. Still get a prize. Yeah, but you may not like the prize. We'll be in the smoking section. You get the smoking section. That's no good. <clears throat> All right. The next tell us I want to look at is in Matthew 24. You know, Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse on when are you coming back as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It appears twice in Matthew 24. First is in verse 6. Again, the words are read. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's the red horse, the second seal of Revelation chapter 6. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nah. The end here referring to the Messianic kingdom. The coming of Messiah. They ask in verse 2 about the parousia, the coming as a king. We also see in verse 10. Verse 14, rather. I need to write my numbers better. 
Verse 14. Also in 13. So we'll just start in 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. The end refers to the messianic kingdom. That's the goal. To live with the Messiah from then unto eternity future. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. That's by the 144,000. As well as an angel that circumscribes the world. And the two witnesses at the temple. As a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. This is also the word telos. In none of these cases does it mean a termination. Let's look at Romans 6.21. Go oh, wait a minute. What's that? I'm still on. She's still right. The end is not yet. Okay. Going to be Romans chapter six. So all of these are the goal. All these are the goal. The goal is the messianic kingdom. And they're all the mess. They're all the goal, and, and the goal is messianic. Correct. Romans six. Romans chapter six, verse twenty-one. Salvation by faith, which brings us into the kingdom. Romans chapter 6, verse 21. What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? Meaning, when you were trying to be saved by the works of the law, what did that get you? Nothing. It says, for the end of those things is death. So where do those things lead to? To the lake of fire. It does not mean that death is going to be done away with. That's not what this verse is talking about in verse 21. 1 Corinthians 1.8. That end is still tell us. All these ends are tell us. Yeah, the next verse says the end is everlasting life. Does that mean everlasting life goes away? No. It means that's the goal. That's where it leads you. 1 Corinthians 1.8. 1 Corinthians 1.8. Who will also confirm you to the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. So does the day of the Lord end because we get there? No. It's like the end zone of a football field. The game doesn't end when you reach the end zone, but you sure like the result. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. I'll get off this point soon. Okay, I'll slow down. I'm still in 1 Corinthians 1.8. You're still in 1 Corinthians 1.8. So when you're finished with that, we'll go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. In the past, I've always just said, well, it means the goal. So let's go look at a verse that says it means the goal. Tonight, I wanted to be a little more thorough. Because I still get emails from people going, nah, I think it all ended. Verse 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Let's back up to verse 20 so we get the full context. It's about the resurrection of Messiah. But now Messiah is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. On what day did Messiah rise from the grave? On the feast of first fruits. For since by man came death, that was Adam, by man also came the resurrection of the dead, that was Messiah. For as in Adam all die, <clears throat> even so in Messiah all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Messiah the firstfruits, afterward those who are Messiahs, at his coming, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, that first end there in verse 24, then comes the end. That is the telos, the goal. Bringing us to the kingdom so he can deliver us to God the Father. I see four red number ones out here. What was the verse in Matthew 10? It was verse 22. Whoops, Sony replied verse 22. Then they said thanks, then they said you're welcome. Okay, now we're up to date. <clears throat> If I look at verse 24. Right at the very end, it says, He puts an end to all rule. That is termination. That's the other I will point. look. <clears throat> I had only noted one telos in that verse, so I'm thinking that's going to be the answer. Mm -hmm. But let me just check. 1 Corinthians 15.25. 24. The other end does not tell us, though. The other end means abolished. It's not teleo, but it's another similar word. Yeah, there was only one telos in that. <clears throat> but good question. Let me make a note. Not telos. Yes. Especially when you're trying hard to make it say something it doesn't. Go to 1 Timothy 1. This is the one we usually go to. Because this one really illustrates well what the word means. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. Now the purpose, that's the word talos. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. That's what the word talos means, is goal or purpose. I'm still going to give you three more. Hebrews chapter 3. Does it really matter? It really does. I hear so many theologians on television talk about how the law has been abolished and then they'll read a, a something like, if you love me, keep my commandments. And say, well, that's clearly not talking about the commandments of the law because the law has been abolished. 
and then they make up a whole new theology and doctrine. Hebrews chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 6. But Messiah as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. As Daniel said a little while ago, if you quit the race before the end, then you're in real trouble. So this word end is telos, till we come to the kingdom, saved by faith. Hey, yeah? Does your Bible have a little footnote for 3-6 right there that says the text, like the NIV, omits firm to the end? Yes, the NIV and others like it omit firm to the end. They make so many changes that are so detrimental to doctrine. I mean, yeah. I did a lot of study this afternoon on different Bible textual versions because of commentaries that say, well, yeah, yeah, there's differences between the NIV and the King James, etc., but nothing of significance. Nothing that would affect doctrine. That's baloney. That's telot. No, it's not. It's baloney. Okay. In the in verse 14 of the same chapter, Hebrews 3:14, For we have become partakers of Messiah if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. That end is tell us. So this verse is another like Daniel was pointing out. If you do not hold fast to your faith to the end, then you're lost. The last one is James 5.11. We will not argue whether it should have been Jacob or James. We'll just go with it. Even though, yeah, well, okay. James 5.11. This one to me makes it very obvious too what the word means. James 5.11 Indeed we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the, the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I almost read it as seen the goal. Because it's so obvious that word is telos there. So if we go back to Romans 10.4 for Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Should be translated, for Messiah is the goal or purpose of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. How big an impact on people's lives would it have if they knew that? Let's remember what Peter said. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. He warns us that we have to be careful reading Paul's writings or we can be misled to what point? Point all the way to the lake of fire. That's right. 2 Peter chapter 3. Starting in verse 14. 
right after Peter talks about the day of the Lord, judgment day, things being burned up in the fire, he begins in verse 14 to say, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, that is to judgment day, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. What is that Hebrew word? Tamim. Without spot or blameless. That's the same standard applied to a lamb being brought to the slaughter. Without spot or blemish. That's Tamim. Yes. It means not walking in sin. Yeah. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, is written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Meaning, if you are not well grounded, you can read these writings of Paul and say, I can go out and eat me a pig tonight. Don't matter. I can go sacrifice to an idol tonight. It doesn't matter. Does it matter? It matters. Give me a scripture. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. I have this against you. Let's look at, for instance, verse 14. Revelation 2, 14. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, repent, or else. Does that sound like a veil threat? No veil at all. Yeah, it doesn't say that, does it? So does it matter? Yes, it matters. Back to Romans chapter 10. We're up to verse 5. 4. What does 4 mean? Because Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. And that's true. And that is true. How many of us have lived by them? None. That's the problem. What Moses was teaching, yes, this is the law. You've got the blessings. You've got the curses. The man who lives by them will be blessed. I mean, that's the truth. It is. So let's go back to Leviticus 18. There's nothing wrong with the law. Are you sure that means Am I sure? Yes. That Greek word is nomos. Not nomos, that's Spanish, but nomos. Okay. N-O-M-O-S. Yeah, nomos means no more. Yeah. So when people tell you, because in one of the one of the chapters, I can't remember which one, it says that you can eat anything. Um, what do you say to people that say, well, we, we can eat anything we want, but then it's saying not to eat food sacrificed onto idols. I say, show me where it says we can eat anything. Okay. And so let's turn to Romans 14. We'll come back to Leviticus. I'm sorry. That's okay. Questions are authorized. Questions are authorized and encouraged. 
Romans 14. Oh, okay. You can use the, you can use, eat anything, you know, Then before we get to Romans 14, we've got to go back to Acts chapter 10 because that's what you're actually talking about. So let's go to Acts chapter 10. There is a vision. But why does Peter have the vision? Let's start in chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Is he Jewish? No. A devout man, and one who feared God with all his household. Don't read over that too quickly. That's a technical theological term. In Hebrew, it's Yireh HaShemayim. In Greek, it's Tubamenoton Theon. And what it means is, he follows the commandments of God, even though he's not Jewish with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. If he follows God's commandments, as it says, does he eat pigs? Mm -hmm. He does not. No. So God sends an angel and says, go get Peter. He's down at Joppa, which is today Tel Aviv. And he sends how many people? It's important. Three. Three. And as they're approaching... Peter's up on the rooftop praying, and he falls into a trance, has a vision. Here comes a talit. It's the only thing in Judaism like a sheep bound at the four corners. And what's bound at the four corners are the tzitzit, which sees the commandment, statutes, and judgments of God. And on this talit are unclean animals as well as clean. And a voice from heaven says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, okay, Lord. No, he doesn't. He says, not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed you must not call common. How many times does that happen? Three times. How many Gentiles are about to knock at the door? Three. I see the eyes going, oh, there's more to this. What's that, Linda? He's using the word common. He's not saying what God's called unclean. Don't call them. It doesn't say what God has cleansed you must not call unclean. Common, which is different from unclean. But so now, let's go down and see where Peter explains the vision. Because Peter does not get up and have a ham sandwich and never has a ham sandwich in his life. But in verse 28, here's the interpretation. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to eat company with or to go to one of another nation. Is that God's law? No, that's a rabbinic rule. Who gets to decide what's clean or unclean? God does. says, but God has shown me that I should not call any what? Any man common or unclean. So hold out two hands. Why is the pig unclean? Because God said so. Why is the Gentile unclean? Because the rabbi said so. Who gets to decide what's clean or unclean? If God had not given Peter this vision, when they knocked at the door, what would he have done? He would have sent them away. Okay. God has said from the Old Testament days that the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. Right. He told them in Acts 28 to take it to all, to all the world, to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Have they done it? No. Why? Because there's this rabbinic rule that says, I can't go to the Gentiles. 
So here was what he says in his own words. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. God didn't cleanse the pig. Right. It was the house of Cornelius. So in verse 34, he explains it further. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, that's Gentiles, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. has nothing to do with we can eat pigs. So that would be uh, men twisting the scriptures for their own... That would be Second Peter 3, un, unlearned people right. that interpreted it their own way instead of letting God explain it. Anyway. Yes, sir. And there's a huge difference between common and unclean. There's a whole big difference between common and unclean. Who decided something's common? That's rabbinic. That's rabbinic. Who decided something's unclean? That's God. That's God. So what Peter now understands is that God gets to decide what's clean or unclean, not the rabbis. Right. Does that answer that question? That's what I would tell people. Because even Paul said um, not to eat meat sacrificed unto idols, and then again it's in Revelation, but when you try to tell people that, they, they jump at you because they say, no, God said we can eat everything. Because people make fun of me because I don't eat pork, you know? I don't either. <laughs> people don't jump on me anymore but there was a time there was a time and my response is always well grab your bible and see what it says and usually at that point they don't want to talk anymore okay yes well, you can silence them if you show them Isaiah 66 Isaiah? let's go look at Isaiah 66 yeah that one yeah <laughs> Isaiah 66. Yes, ma'am. Also in Romans 14, uh, the one thing that will cause a lot of people to misunderstand is the, it's written in our English Bible is unclean, but it's koinos instead of agathartos. Exactly right. In Romans 14, they translated the word wrong probably unintentionally. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Isaiah 66, which we may get to tomorrow, but probably not says in verses 14 to 17, when you see this, that is God comforting and protecting and defending Jerusalem, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and his indignation, that's the wrath of God, the za'am, to his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh. That's kol basar in Hebrew, all flesh. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. And then it tells us who. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an island amidst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination of the mouse, shall be consumed together, says the Lord. And Rachel's right in Romans 14. That's not a cathartos. They just translated it incorrectly. Now, okay. Now when people tell you, well, that's the Old Testament, it doesn't really pertain. What do you tell people? This I would say, well, let's look at the New Testament. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Hey, Wayne. Yes, sir. Were you going to go back to Romans 14? 
We, we were headed that way, but we didn't quite make it. Do you want me to go back there? Yes. When okay. You get a second. All right. After this, I'm sorry. After this, and where am I going now? I forgot. Second Corinthians six. Also, show me a verse where it says the Old Testament doesn't matter or doesn't count. Where is that verse? It's nowhere. It's nowhere. Except Romans ten four, if you misread it. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen and following. says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And Paul's going to set up a bunch of left hand and right hand. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? The answer is none, because what's the opposite of righteousness is lawlessness. And what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Messiah with Belial? That's Satan. What part is a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement is the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, what does therefore mean? Let's draw an application because of this. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And that's quoted from Isaiah. And that word unclean is Tameh. The same word in Leviticus 11 for unclean foods. Do not touch what's unclean and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. I would say, and that's New Testament. Right. Okay. Thank you. And the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, right? And it's Old quoting Old from Isaiah, Isaiah right here. <laughs> If you take all the quotes of the Old Testament out of the New Testament, you got a pamphlet. <laughs> this was 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14. I went through 18 and then chapter 7, verse 1. I did. I went from 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. You're welcome. Now to answer the question on Romans 14, let's go over to Romans 14. That word touch is not just put a finger to it, is it? It's cling to. The old concept of naga. Yeah, they want to hang on to it. You can't take it away from me. And that's what it says. Don't do that. Let it go. But only if you want to be God's child and have him be your God. That's all. Yeah, okay. That's all. It's another example of where an idea of actually alters what they claim in Scripture. Because it actually says God made all things clean, and it's not there. Is a translator's comment. That's in Mark 7. Okay, let's go to Romans 14. What's the three most important words in real estate? Location, location, location. The three most important words in Bible understanding, context, context, context. Verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. This is not talking about God's commandments. Those are not doubtful things. 
The doubtful things are rabbinic rules. So if we keep a finger here and go back to Luke 18, 12, you'll see what rule is being talked about here. Luke 18, 12. God commanded one fast, and that's the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. The rabbis require fast twice a week. Okay. You see it in Luke 18, 12. We'll start in 11 for context. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week. Monday and Thursday. Not in Torah. This is totally rabbinic. And abstaining from food on those days. Certain food. Certain food. That's right. Not in Torah. They say Moses went up on Mount Sinai on a Monday and came down on a Thursday. And therefore every Monday and Thursday they require the people to do not a total fast, but a partial fast. You can eat vegetables and drink water, but you can have no milk and no wine. I don't know where you grew up. I grew up in northern Ohio where in the schools every Friday we had to have fish. Because the Catholic Church continued this by making it a Friday thing instead of Monday, Thursday. And they said fish is not meat. How and they mean? said fish is not meat. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in Mexico and there wasn't anything like that. Okay. <laughs> so verse 2, back to Romans 14. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So the all things does not mean pigs and lobsters and shrimps. They wouldn't have considered that food. Right. So the one who eats all things eats meat and wine. Those who is weak eats only vegetables and drinks water. So it says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant to his own master he stands or falls? Indeed, he will, be made, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. In other words, if you don't eat meat on Thursday, what's that to me? Right. Or if I eat meat on Thursday, why should you care? Right. Let God decide if it was okay for me to follow the rabbinic rule or not. And then verse 5, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. The commentators all say, see, we don't have to keep the Sabbath. But that's talking about Mondays and Thursdays. So some people think you have to fast on Mondays and Thursdays, just that partial fast, and others say, no, you don't. And then we go back to eating, verse 6. So we're talking about eating days, eating days, and people go, Paul can't make up his mind what to talk about because they don't realize it's all one topic. But the translation issue is in verse 14. It says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Yeshua that there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Problem is, the word unclean is not in that verse. It's koinon, K-O-I-N-O-N, which means common. Not akathartos, which means unclean. Okay. Say, say that again, K-O. K-O-I-N-O-N, koinon is common. Remember in Acts 10 it said um, common or unclean? Koinon is common. Unclean is akathartos. Akathartos is not in this verse. Akathartos is forbidden by God. 
koinon is forbidden by the rabbis. So Paul's saying the fact that the rabbis said you can't eat it, that don't mean nothing. That goes back to Matthew 15 and Mark 7. Man-made rules and regulations. That's not where it's at. I mean, in the, you know, I've got probably 20 different Bibles, commentaries and things like that. I've never read a commentator simply explain right there that this is forbidden by rabbinics and this is forbidden by God. They, they go out of their way to, to keep you in the dark about this. Yes, they do. And that's not forgivable, really. Understood. Yes, from Go to Meeting Land. Yes, my name is Margo. Just a quick comment. When I tried to show genuinely committed Bible-believing Christians these distinctions in the translations, invariably at a point they glaze over and their response to me is, you're being legalistic. They don't know how else to respond to, but you've got to look behind the word to see the meaning. They... They don't want to know right way. They are comfortable where they are and it's confronting to think that perhaps they've been wrong all these years and some people can adapt and some can't. But it's interesting they always revert to your being legalistic. Right. And the word legalism doesn't appear in the Bible anywhere. That's from Catholic doctrine. Yeah. So when somebody says, you're being legalistic, usually I say, and where's that in the Bible? And that's when I go, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Are we ready to get back to topic? We were on topic. <laughs> I forgot where we were. Okay. That was a topic. It is very important. I agree. It's absolutely important. You know what people have told me for years is don't hush up the questions. They're the most interesting and important parts of the Bible study. And I agree with that. So we were going to Leviticus. Chapter 18. Eventually I remember why when we get there. Probably. Oh, yeah. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. If you remember, up in Romans, it quoted what Paul, uh, what Moses said. Here's where Moses said it. Leviticus 18.5 You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. Problem is, who can keep them all perfectly? Nobody. Except for Yeshua. Nobody but him. So. But that's why they had sacrifice. Because you were, you're going to fail, but you had a good goal. Yeah, but sacrifices were only for what kind of sins? Unintentional. 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 But you, you fail unintentionally. We do every day. We do all the, all the time. You cannot keep the law. Yep. So we repent a lot. So we repent a lot. That's correct. We don't have to bring the turtle doves up. Let's go to Exodus 20. Before Bob breaks out in a new song, Yeshua is my turtle dove. <laughs> I know he was thinking about it. Exodus chapter 20. I was thinking he is my Oh, okay. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11.
This looks a lot like the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? The Ten Words. That's right. Nowhere in the Hebrew are they called the Ten Commandments. They're called the Ten Words. Which is very important when Messiah says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in Psalm 89, verse 34, where God says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. When did he do that? On the seventh on the seventh day of creation in Genesis chapter 2 so keep a finger here and go back to Genesis chapter 2 where the English translation again does not lead us to the point Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Make a note that in verse 2 that word rested, and in verse 3 that word rested, the word is Shabbat. He Shabbated. Why is that important? He Sabbathed. His commandment came way before the so-called Torah was even thought of. This is way before that is revealed at Mount Sinai. Is this the first reference to the Sabbath? Genesis 1.14 Then God said Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens To divide the day from the night Let them be for signs and for seasons And for days and years That word seasons is not seasons The word season in Hebrew is zaman Z-E-M-A-N This word is moedim which are the appointed times of Leviticus 23, which includes Sabbath and the seven feasts and festival days. I guess my only point here is to say that the commandments have been from the beginning. Now, you kept a finger in Exodus 20. But I'm going to go on anyway because time's getting away from me. I'm going to go on to Galatians. I know I'm going to get some emails over that one. <laughs> That's okay. Galatians chapter 3. We're only on verse 5. Galatians chapter 3 verse 12.
We actually have to start in 11 for context. Verse 11 says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. What's that word evident mean? Crystal clear, obvious. For, quote, the just shall live by faith. That's from Habakkuk, which is, by the way, in the Old Testament. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Paul says, wait a minute, I'm all confused now. If we're not saved by keeping the commandments of the law, then how the just shall live by faith. What does our faith cause us to do? To be obedient. So the law is how we walk. How can we please God? Not a way of salvation. Salvation is by faith, but then what? Here's where the church tends to let people down. They bring you down the aisle, make a confession of faith, and now it's like you're done. So now go back to your sins and God's okay with it. And that's not so. What I get from a lot of people is uh, when, when I try to tell them you know, to obey, obey the word, obey the law, they say, well, we're not saved by the law, we're saved by grace. And Correct. They say the, law, the, the law has been abolished. I'm like, no, it hasn't. Yeah, that's Matthew 5. It's not been abolished. But here's another verse to add to your repertoire. Go to 1 John 2. There is a test given in the Bible for how you can tell if you've been saved by faith or not. Yeah. Salvation is by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. That's absolutely true. But 1 John 2, let's look at verses 3 and 4. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. That's in the book of James. But this is labeled in many Bibles the test of knowing him. Okay. Even if you look it up online, online the Bible say the test of knowing him. Here's what it says. Now by this we know that we know him. Meaning, here's how we know if we're saved by faith. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So if you are not keeping God's commandments, it tells us right here, you are not saved. That's what it says, right? Yeah, it is. Black and white. Add to that 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. 1 John 3, 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Meaning here how you can tell one from the other. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. So if you are walking, what's that? What's righteousness? Righteousness is the opposite of lawlessness. So if you're walking in the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, you can know for sure that you have been saved by faith. So righteousness would be obeying the word of God. Correct. Obeying the word. Yeah. The commandments, statutes, and judgments. Right. Now this was John. Let's add one from Messiah. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Now, when you tell people this, they're going to say, you're trying to be saved by works. Right. <laughs> yes. 
What did Messiah say? If you love me, come a what? Keep my commandments. Yeah. John 14, 15. But if you look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 talk about two roots, two roads, that all those trying to get to heaven are walking on one road or the other. Verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. But everyone on both roads are thinking they're on the road to heaven. Right. The reason so many are misled is verse 15. Beware of false prophets, false teachers. But now come down to verses 21 to 23, which underlie John's teaching in 1 John 2 verses 3 and 4. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, what day is that? That's the day of the Lord. That's judgment day. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They thought they were saved. Can you see the shock on their faces? Yeah. But Lord, Lord, you're my Lord. Lord means master, the one we serve. Add to that from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know? He's calling them ignorant again, didn't he? <laughs> Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? And then add in 1 Corinthians chapter what, Daniel? Chapter 7, verse 19. Yeah. But I wasn't born a Jew. Look at verse 19. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. So you can argue with the Bible, but it says what it says. Ready to go back to the main trail? <laughs> go to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse 16 to 22. Still looking at Moses' words about the commandments are a way of life. Matthew 19, beginning verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. 
But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Why would he say if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments? Because if you're saved by faith, you will then what? Keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Oh, I hear that a lot. <laughs> Yeshua said, you shall not murder. Wait a minute. That's out of the Torah. You shall not commit adultery. Torah. You shall not steal. Torah. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They're not all in the Ten Commandments, but they're all in the Torah. Exactly. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So what's the alternative? If you don't want to enter into life, do whatever you want to do. There's only two eternal destinations. So let me ask you this. It almost sounds like, you know, you have people who are sort of divided into those pursuing life and those pursuing death. And even of those pursuing life, there's a fork there of those who are on the broad road and those who are on the narrow road. Is that? That's exactly correct. There are those who don't want to go to heaven. That was my father. He said all his friends were in hell anyway. I bet by now he's changed his mind. Mm -hmm. but, but those on the broad and the narrow road are all trying to reach heaven. But most of them are going the wrong way. Why? Because they've been taught the commandments have been abolished. They listen to men, not to God. What did Messiah himself say in verse 17? But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Did he lie to us or was he just mistaken if the law has been abolished? People don't realize when you say the law has been abolished what that means. In Deuteronomy 18, there's a standard set out for a true prophet They've got to be right 100% of the time. Every one of the prophets in the Old Testament, those who wrote the Bible, said the commandments are forever. So if they're not, then Moses was a false prophet, and Isaiah was a false prophet, and Jeremiah, just go on down the line. They're all false prophets, which means the Bible is a book of fairy tales. Just from that one statement that the, the laws have been abolished. We yes, read, We read this this morning with Alice, and she picked up on the next verse, on verse 21, where Jesus told the young man to sell everything he had and give to the poor. So she was asking, should we do that? The answer is, he didn't tell everybody to do this. This man had a particular problem. The commandments toward God he was okay with, toward his fellow man not okay. He was okay to worship God and to love God, but he doesn't want to help the poor around him. The scripture says, love the Lord your God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And love the stranger, but you were a stranger once in the land of Egypt. I yeah. Can't so he loved his money, and if you're hungry, go starve. Okay. And that's not okay. No. no. Luke 10. Luke 10, we're running out of time, but we have till the Lord comes. Which isn't much time. 
Luke 10, 25 to 28. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, what do they mean by a lawyer? They mean a scribe, one who teaches the law, knows all the finer points of the Torah, right? They copy the scrolls, they teach it, they know all the finer points. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What's your reading of it? What does this mean? Has it changed from Old Testament times? No. He says, how do you read the law? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. If you look at the tablets of the Ten Commandments, the five on the left side are about loving God, on the right side are about loving your fellow man, your neighbor. Said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. People go, okay, God wiped them all out, but two. No. <laughs> you can summarize them all in the two. They're all about loving God and loving your neighbor. There is not a third category of commandment. Well, if you do the, the love, if you obey the commandment to love God and love thy neighbor as thyself, then the rest is easy because you do them because you love God. Correct. So and you do it out of faith. Right. That's where salvation comes in. Hebrews tells us that God spoke to these people in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, but they were disobedient because they did not mix it with faith. Okay, we have another. No, we don't. Okay. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Romans chapter 10, verse 6.